Thanks, Jim. I, he told me he was going to bring a lot of stuff in, and I had no idea. <laughs> I'm taking that guy backpacking with me. He could, uh, he could carry a lot. So can we give a round of applause for Jim one more time? Thank you, Jim. We're going to leave all these burdens right here. That'll be great. Um, well, welcome. Thank you for being here this morning. I'm excited uh, to be here with you. Uh, every Sunday is just a, a, a joy for me to stand up here and to get to talk about God's Word with you and, um, and pray and sing together. So uh, we are on week three of our Psalms of Ascent series, which has been really exciting. We've got a couple of great Psalms coming up, including the one that we're going to look at this morning. But if you don't mind, let me open us in prayer, and then we'll get started. Lord Jesus, thank you for being um, trustworthy. Thank you for being willing to take our burdens uh, and to ca- uh, being willing to take our anxieties. Uh, Lord, thank you f- that we can cast them on you uh, because you care for us. Lord, I ask that as we look at your word this morning, that you would press upon us how much you care for us, uh, the fact that you love us and that you want, you want what's best for us. Thank you for that, Jesus. Um, open your word to us now. In your name, amen. Have you ever gone to bed? No, that's not the end of the question. That's the question for me. Ever gone to bed and wonder how in the world you're going to get it all done? Ever had that feeling when you, your head hits the pillow and you go, my gosh, I did not even scratch the surface of my to-do list? Um, have you ever gone to bed thinking about all the problems that you didn't fix in the day? Or, or maybe you've gone to bed wondering what problems tomorrow will bring you and how you're going to handle those. I can tell you that there's been times where I go to sleep or I'm going to sleep And boom, something happens in my brain, and I think, hey, I forgot to send that person an email, (laughs) and I can't go to sleep. Now, I've got to get up, and I've got to send that email before I can go back to bed. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but it's it's one of those things that I I almost try to get forgetful when I go to sleep so I can sleep well, because I don't want to think about all the things that I either didn't do that day or that I have to do the next day. You know, I um, got, had a job a few years back at a, at a software company, and one of um, my cohorts, or I was a manager at the company, and this other manager was there, and, and he was going to kind of show me the ropes a little bit and, and tell me, you know, the, the, the secrets of the company and how to, how to succeed there. And I can remember sitting down over a cup of coffee. I think I'd been at the company maybe three or four days, so brand new, just learning this guy's name. And he sits down, and I'll never forget what he said. He said, listen, here's the secret of being successful at this company. And I'm all ears, I'm all excited. Okay, what is it? Is it good management? Is it, is it doing your homework? Is it uh, working hard? What, what, what's the secret? And he said, I rate my day's success by how many people I disappoint. And I went, are, are you serious? And he was like, no, no, I'm not kidding. So sometimes I have a three-person day. That's a great day. <laughs> sometimes I have a 15-person day. Not so great of a day. And, and he stuck with this. Every time I'd see him in the hallway, he'd say, hey, Josh, how you doing? I'd be like, oh, I'm doing okay. And he'd go, it's a 10-person day. Pray for me. <laughs> so he rated his day on how many people he disappointed. That was sad, but I understood what he was going through. You have a lot of pressure. You have a lot of things happening in your life, and there just seems to be more and more and more pressure to make the right decisions, say the right things, send the right emails, and you have to do it all within eight hours. And and if you can't do it all within eight hours, it bleeds over to your evening and into your night. 
we probably fantasize about a life with less stress. I know I do. I constantly am thinking, well, when things slow down, I'll get to that project that I want to get to in the yard. Or, or when things slow down, maybe I'll take my family on that vacation that we've always wanted to go on. Less stress, less anxiety, but those fantasies are always in the future. They're always in the future. When I get that promotion, I'll be less stressed. When I get married, I'll be less stressed. When I, when I get that dream house that we've been saving for, be less stressed. When, 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 when. And it's always less stress in the future. And we pile the stress on us now so that we'll have less stress in the future. But the thing is, is that less stress never seems to come. It always just seems to have more stress and anxiety. And stress and anxiety is like pain. If, you, if, you, if you've ever lived with pain, the more you have over a long period of time, the more in pain you endure over a long period of time, your body adjusts to it. And all of a sudden, the new normal is painful. And you just think that that's normal. And then you just set your, you adjust for, for, for more pain. The same thing with stress and anxiety. The more stress you endure over the long period of time, the more you just get used to it. And then pretty soon you get a pain in your stomach and you go see the doctor and the doctor says, you have an ulcer. Do you feel stressed? And your response is, no, not really. I, I don't know. What does stress feel like? <laughs> My doctor asked me that some years ago. Are you stressed in your job? And I went, I, I'm not really sure. Well, define it for me. And he was like, well, I don't know. Do you feel nervous? I'm like, yeah, I feel nervous a lot. And so we had this conversation about stress. You know, I can remember in college, uh, my first year, my freshman year of college, I went almost the whole year with feeling pretty stress-free, and then finals came. And I had to take the final exams, and I had to write the final papers, and I had to do all this stuff, and it crept up on me. I'd never done it before, at least to this magnitude. And I remember going, wow, this is stressful. And I remember something happening. I don't know if this ever happens to you, the eyelid, it starts to twitch, Right? And you just hope no one sees it because you think you look like something's really, really wrong. And you're like, no, I'm just, just a little stressed. It's not a big deal. And drink too much coffee. It's going to be fine. Well, I noticed that that twitch went away after finals. I was like, oh, okay, good, good. So the next year started, sophomore year, and school's tough and everything else. But I did okay until midterms. And then the little twitch came back. Here it goes. Oh, no. And it's a lack of sleep. I think it's a lack of vitamins, actually. And it's stress that causes that. By the time my, my uh, end of my sophomore year, into my junior year, my eye just twitched all the time. It was just constant. It was like part of my personality, if you will. I hope no one noticed, but people probably did. We get used to stress. We get used to anxiety, and, and we live in a society and a culture that is driving. We have so many projects. We have so many things to do. I have, I have a friend that I see every now and then, and we always talk about the projects that we have planned. And it's like, man, I could name off 20 projects I have planned, and I have no idea when I have time to do all those. In fact, just telling you about stressing anxiety, guess what? It's stressing me out a little bit. <laughs> Maybe I need to stop talking about stress and anxiety. I think stress is getting worse in our society. I don't think it's getting easier. I don't think as a people and as a society we're learning how to be less stressed. I think we're learning how to be more stressed, and I think it's a problem. But there's good news. You know it was coming. Hopefully you knew it was coming. There's good news. And today's passage, I think, really gives us a good lesson on how to handle stress and anxiety. It's Psalm 127. And, and it's a fascinating little piece of Scripture. I'm only going to read 
1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2. I'm going to actually read it out of the NET, the New English Translation. I think they do a better job uh, than the standard NIV in translating it. Here it goes. Psalm 127, 1 through 2. The psalmist says, who is Solomon, by the way, this time, if the Lord does not build a house, then those who build it work in vain. If the Lord does not guard a city, then the watchman stands guard in vain. It is vain for you to rise early and come home late and work so hard for your food. Yes, he can provide for those whom he loves even when they sleep. Isn't that an interesting little piece of Scripture? Solomon is saying, y'all need to calm down. (laughs) God can care for you, and he actually can care for you more while you sleep than you can do for yourself. I read that passage, and and it doesn't seem to matter what stage I am in life or what job I have. Even me as a minister, I'm stressed a lot. There's a lot to do, a lot going on. I read this passage, and it just, it, it, it feels like a breath of fresh air. And the psalmist does two things, uh, one thing in the first verse and one thing in the second verse, and it's so simple, and maybe that's why it's so refreshing. It's such a simple passage. He does something so simple that almost you get past it almost too fast. And if you read it too quickly, you go, great, all right, God's in control, moving on. But we can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, to the age-old question of self-sufficiency. And if you're like me, just hearing the phrase self-sufficiency, I start to make a list of all the things that I think I've done well and all the things that I don't need help with because I've got it covered. I got this. I don't need help. I got it covered. I'm a, I'm a self-made man. I'm self-sufficient. And that's exactly what the serpent points out to Eve when he poses the question to her. Will you trust God, Eve, Or will you trust yourself? Do you want to always depend on this God guy? Or do you want to to take it in on your own? Do you want to do it yourself? And the serpent says, you know, if you eat this fruit, you'll be able to know what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil. You'll be able to do what God has been doing for you. You'll be able to do it yourself. You'll be able to be self-sufficient. God's the only thing, the only thing that is in control of anything. And the serpent twists the truth and lies to Eve. And so, you know, people like wonder what the garden was like and, and how this conversation happened with Eve and the serpent. And, and it didn't seem to surprise her that she's talking to a serpent. Like, isn't that kind of weird? Like, do they normally talk? Is that a thing? I don't know. But people think, oh, man, she must have pondered and thought and thought and thought about this decision. And I don't think that was the case. <laughs> Eve is human, and I think the moment she had an opportunity to be self-sufficient, she took it. I don't think it was the thought that she even had. You see, God created us with free will, and we can choose to trust ourselves, or we can choose to trust God. And that's, that's the basic, simple truth. Unless God builds the house, it won't get built. And unless God guards the city, it won't be really safe. There's some uh, people theorize about this whole uh, building or the house. That could mean like a family house, like the house of David. It could mean that. It could mean like a territory. It could mean like a kingdom. It could mean a bunch of things. But the point the psalmist is making is unless God is in it, it's not really going to happen. That basic 
fundamental truth is so hard for me to swallow. Even teaching it to you, I go, wait, are we sure? Because I feel like I'm really good at a lot of things. <laughs> Just saying. I'm really self-sufficient. I can handle things on my own. And the psalmist is saying, unless God is in it, it's not going to work. Working to control your situation is futile. God never meant for us to take that responsibility on. And that's so interesting. That's what the Garden of Eden was all about. Complete and utter trust of God. And God loved it. And when Adam and Eve decided to trust themselves instead of God, that's when the story began of God wooing his creation back to himself. And it's story after story after story of God saying, you need me. You need me. I built you to need me. And I am trustworthy. The only reason we are successful in life is because God has allowed for our success. Even saying that makes me uncomfortable. Culture tells us our value comes from what we do and how well we do it. So we get two messages. You come here this morning and I say, God's in control. God is in charge of your success. And then you go out to the world and the world says, how good are you doing at what you're doing? You are the reason that you are successful. Our culture tells us that we should not need anything from anyone. You see, God created us to need him. God wants us to trust him with virtually everything from our next breath to that vacation that we're going to plan with our family. It doesn't matter what it is. God wants us to trust him. That's verse 1. That's verse 1 of this psalm. Verse 2, ironically, goes from we need to trust God. He is trustworthy. The only success we're going to find in life is the things that he blesses to verse 2. The weakness of man. It corresponds with trust. Have you ever asked yourself, why in the world did God create us to need sleep? Based on my current situation, I ask myself dozens of times a night, why do I need sleep? Why do I need this? Why did God create us this way? Why did he do it? Every time we go to sleep, we are trusting that nothing bad will happen to us. In fact, we're so weak in our, in our sleep state that we dream, and we don't even know if it's reality or not. A third of our life is spent in this semi-dead, unconscious state where we have no control over our surroundings. A third of our time. Why would God do that? I think God wants, did that because he wants us to understand something so important about the relationship between us and him. God wants us to understand our weakness because more than anything, God wants us to trust him. Every night you go to sleep, you give up. And you have to trust that you're going to wake up. And in a lot of ways, you're out of control whether you wake up or not. Every night you go to sleep and you have to sleep at some point in order to function the next day. And you function the whole day only to go back to sleep again because that's what you need. We fool ourselves into thinking that we're self-sufficient, that we've got it covered, that we've got it figured out. After all, look at our bank accounts. Look at the cars we drive. Look at the houses that we own. We've got this. we got it figured out. And every night 
we pass out, and we trust that we're going to wake up. Fascinating. God wants us to understand our weakness because more than anything, he wants us to trust him. And that's what it's always been about. Always been about. It's been about trust. This is one of the reasons why Adam and Eve, what they did in the garden hurt God so much. Because God proved to Adam and Eve over and over and over that he was trustworthy, and that was the relationship that he wanted to have with them. I will provide for you. You trust me. That's the way I created it. And Adam and Eve said, yeah, but I think we could do better. I got this, God. I got this. We're going to figure it out. One of the first things that happened, they went, wow, we, we need help. And God knew right away what they had done. Teaching people to trust God is what the church is about. It's what everything is about that we do here. How can I convey to us as a people that we need him? And that's a good thing, unlike what society tells us. The verse points out that to worry about our life hurts us. Because, because it's foolish. Because he can accomplish more while we sleep than we can accomplish while we're awake. Now, the risk here is for you guys to leave going, oh, the pastor said we don't have to do anything. <laughs> God's just going to take care of everything for us. Let's just go home, relax. We don't got to work. God will figure it out, right? No, that's not true. If the goal is trusting the Father, there are all kinds of things that we can do in life to deepen our trust in him. And that's what we work at. And that's what Christians have been working at since the very beginning. How do we trust him more? How do we cultivate trust in our families? I want my kids to trust him more. I want their kids to trust him more. How do we do that? Some of these things that produce trust can take a lifetime to complete. It's something that you work at virtually every day of your life. And it'll never be complete until you're in heaven. Other things, ironically, take a moment to produce trust. If the Lord does not build a house, then those who build it work in vain. If the Lord does not guard a city, then the watchman stands guard in vain. It is vain for you to rise early and come home late and work so hard for your food. Yes, he can provide for those whom he loves even when they sleep. The psalmist wants us to trust God more, no matter where we are in our walk. And you might be going inside, oh, listen, I've learned this lesson. This is a good lesson. I trust him. I'm good. But God wants more. He wants more of that trust. It doesn't matter if you've been a believer for 60 years or if you never trusted him ever in your life. And this is the first time you've ever heard of it. God wants trust. That's what he wants. You see, anxiety is a byproduct of self-reliance but good sleep comes to those who trust. This is what I want us to remember this morning. When you leave here, on your way home, trusting God with our present and future is the only way to live an anxiety-free life. Trusting him is the only way you're going to get rid of this anxiety. We spend so much time working ourselves to death so we won't have anxiety only to have more. 
well, if I work really hard now, and the way I say it, you know, people hear it, Grace, you guys love me so much. Sometimes people come up and say, how you doing, Josh? You getting enough sleep? Are you working too hard? And I go, well, you know, I'm, I'm in a sprint mode. That's what I say. You know, I can't sprint forever, but I'm sprinting now. And, and when the sprint's over, then I'll rest. There's some truth to that, about this much truth to that. The reality is, is I'm geared and I want to sprint my whole life because I want to be in control. I want this to be something that I got. That's what happens. Trusting God is the only way that produces less anxiety. If you're going to work at something, work at understanding that. Augustine said this about trust. Trust the past to God's mercy, the present to God's love, and the future to God's providence. The point is, Trust God. Trust Him. And why is it so important to remember this? What's the big deal? If you don't believe that trusting God is the only way to live an anxiety-free life, if you don't believe that you will spend your life chasing the next thing that will produce peace, and it is amazing how well we convince ourselves that that next thing will produce the peace that we so desperately long for. We can fool ourselves into believing that when things slow down, we'll have less anxiety. When we graduate, when we get that promotion, when we get that house or that relationship or that vacation, or here's, here's one that's commonly said, financial success. When we get financial success, then I'll take it easy. The reality is, is if you have food in the refrigerator, you've already found financial success from over most of the world. So you found it. Why aren't you without uh, anxiety? The truth is, is that when we think we are in control, we work ourselves to death. So why is this so important? I don't want us to, I don't want us to take that choice to go down this path of convincing ourselves that we're in control of how much anxiety we have or, or, or the success of our life the success of this church. We do it even as Christians. If I, as a pastor, make all the right choices and get all the right people on the boat and everything makes sense, then this church will grow and it'll be this smashing success. <laughs> no, no, that's not the way that it works. I know people that have done that. And a lot of people show up and they have everything going on and it's so exciting. And I go talk to the pastor and he says, you know, I'm ready to quit. I got so much stress, I can't handle it. I can't go any further. I'm done. And I look around. I go, look at the success you found. That's the reality is the success he's found, not the success that God has wanted. If we think we're in control, we'll work ourselves to death. I have three suggestions. Three things that I think will produce hope and will produce trust in you to trust God more. And I have to tell you this. This is my disclaimer. I'm not good at any of them. This is a battle for me. I even told my wife this week, my application is going to sound hollow because these are things that I wrestle with on a daily basis. But I'm going to give them to you because I think God wants us to hear them. So I'm preaching at me as well as you. The first thing we need to do to find tr more trust in God and less anxiety is to find Sabbath. If you're unfamiliar with what the Sabbath was, it's, it's the fourth commandment in, in the commandments that God gave Israel. 
And the idea is, is that you stop, that you take a hard break in your rhythm of the week, and you dedicate one day to two things. You dedicate that day to not working, whatever that looks like for you. And the second thing is you dedicate that day to the Lord. And there's a reason. And you might go, oh my gosh, you don't understand the responsibilities I have and how many times work calls and what's going on with the family and, and soccer practices on Sundays. Now, I can't do that. But there's a reason why God did it. The reason is God wants us to be with him. He wants us to understand how much we need him. And he wants us to understand that that's a good thing. We have to find Sabbath. And if you want to read more about it, Exodus 23 and Exodus 31 talk about it. So does Deuteronomy 5. It's all through Scripture. Highly debated in the New Testament. Jesus had an unorthodox view of Sabbath. The Sabbath was created for us to stop and take a break from our routine, to pause and to commune with God. And me just saying that sounds so refreshing, but it's so hard to do in a society that tells you you have to do more. I need more hours in the week, not less. Find Sabbath. I'd be even okay if you translate Sabbath to mean whatever you want as long as you can stop, take a break, and commune with God. We need it. The second thing, the second thing is to find sanctuary. And we use this term differently in our culture than I think it was meant to be used a lot of times. We say sanctuary to mean this room. And, and this could be sanctuary for you. But what I mean by sanctuary is a safe place. A place where that you can take refuge from the busyness of life. And you can meet with God. Find a place that can be protected from the hustle and bustle. You've got to turn your phone off. You've got to resist the urge to send emails. And to look at the calendar and figure out what the next event is. You have to have sanctuary. Protect that space. I don't care if it's a closet in your house. I don't care if it's the, the, the car that you drive to work in every day. Find sanctuary. Sanctuary is meant to be a peaceful place that allows you to commune with God. Find Sabbath. Find sanctuary. And the last one, all three of these are a must. Find solitude. Find solitude. There's a time and a place to be with the Lord communally, and we do that on Sunday mornings. We all get together. Hopefully, we share stories about what God has done. We sing songs, and we look at his word, and we do all this together, which is so good for us as a community. But there are times, and these times need to happen frequently, that we need to be with the Lord by ourselves. A place that you can fall on your knees if you need to and weep a place where you can sit peacefully and listen to what God is telling you, but we need to find solitude. Being alone with the Lord is such a necessity. And this is one of those things in the New Testament. We see Jesus doing this all the time. It's like he escapes. He hits like the eject button, and he, and he just has to be with his Father alone. Find solitude. It's a time to be in the presence of God. It's not a time to, to, to find the finer points of your systematic theology, okay? It's not a time to nail down your, your eschatology, like, oh, okay, well, how, how does the end times really work? What does Scripture say? It's not a theological time. It's a peaceful time where you sit and you listen and you hear what God is doing and what he wants for you. There's a time to figure out 
your theology. There's a time to, to, to look at Scripture and to tear it apart and to dissect it carefully. This is a time where you sit and you think and you let him talk to you. We have to find Sabbath. We have to find sanctuary. And we have to find solitude. And if we don't, if we don't find Sabbath, rest, we'll lose sight of God's desire for our relationship. Have you ever felt that in your life where you go, I know God wants to be with me, but I, I can't remember why. All I know is my phone keeps ringing. <laughs> if we don't find Sabbath rest, we'll lose sight of God's desire for our for relationship with us. If we don't find sanctuary, if we don't have a place, world, the world will overwhelm us with distractions. I get so distracted, I have a hard time shutting my phone off even when I'm driving. That thing beeps at me constantly, and I'm tempted. Ah, I can't look at it. I'm not supposed to look at it, but I really want to. We have to find sanctuary, or we will be distracted and overwhelmed by the busyness of life. And if we don't find solitude, we'll never be able to be alone with him, to understand him more deeply. These three things we need in our life to reduce anxiety. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to look at this psalm. Thank you for Solomon and his wisdom in writing down this psalm. Lord, I could just imagine the worshipers going into Jerusalem, going into the temple, singing this psalm, remembering that you are the reason for success, that you are in control of everything, and we are designed to trust you. That's a tough thing to swallow in today's culture, Lord. You know this. So I ask that as you've stirred our hearts with your word this morning, that we could go out of this place remembering and walking with you and, and trying to find these things. Lord, we so need a Sabbath. We need sanctuary. And we need solitude with you. I ask that you'd help us find these things. And this, this nasty thing called anxiety would slowly die away. In your name, amen. Would you stand and sing with us one last song?